on. Let's go ahead and jump into Esther, and uh, we're just going to kind of cruise on through. We've already uh, bit off a lot this morning, and so uh, I'm just going to jump right into the text, give you a little bit of a review, and then we'll talk about how to apply some of this kind of stuff. One thing uh, to note, Haman has tried to destroy the Jews. So if you look at where our story is at this point, Haman, the villain, has come in. He's tried to destroy the Jews. He has come up with this elaborate plan. He's gone to the king. He created this edict, and he put it out there, and he was going to have anybody who was willing to join him go and wipe out the Jews. Well, Esther used her position to alert the king of this. The king, I think, was maybe in the dark a little bit. He knew something was happening, but didn't know all the details. And so she uses her position to alert the king. And she was afraid to do that, but she went ahead and did it anyhow. And so because of that, the king knew, and, and he took care of Haman. He said, okay, I'm going to execute Haman, get rid of him. But the edict was still out there. So he puts Mordecai now in second place. He's second in command. Then he tells Mordecai, Mordecai, you can go ahead and write an edict that will help the Jewish people. And so last week we talked about how Mordecai uh, constructed an edict that would say, hey, you as Jewish people can defend yourselves if the enemy begins to attack. So that's where we are so far in our story. And now we're carrying out that edict as we jump into chapter 9. Let's pray before we do. Father, we thank you that you've given us your word, that it's true. We believe it's inspired. We believe that you breathed it into existence, that it's here for us to understand who you are and what your plan is and how you're working through us. We trust you because you are almighty God and creator. We know that you created all things. We know that we rejected you, and yet you still loved us enough to send us your son who became the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. And with that, we want to worship you, we want to praise you and serve you, and we want to learn from you. So guide us and teach us today. If you're not teaching us, Lord, then in a lot of ways we're wasting our time. So we want to be led by you. Humble us before your word this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Esther chapter 9, let's start with verses 1 through 10. It says, The king's command and law went into effect on the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar. On the day when the Jews' enemies had hoped to overpower them, just the opposite happened. Okay, now that was the edict that Haman put out there. And that edict said, yes, if you were an enemy of the Jews, this is your opportunity, this is your chance. And I think at, originally when they saw Haman sign off on that and it came from the king, they thought, hey, the king is going to join us, right? But the opposite happened. And that's because Mordecai sent out an edict that said, Jews, you can defend yourself. And it came from the king. And it started to put a lot of confusion. Well, which, which one is the king going to support? And we find out that the king supported Mordecai. The Jews overpowered those who hated them. In each of the king Ahasuerus' provinces, the Jews assembled in their cities to attack those who intended to harm them. And not a single person could withstand them. Fear of them fell on every nationality. All the officials of the provinces, the satraps, the governors, the royal civil administrators, aided the Jews because they feared Mordecai. So now we know that the government has actually come behind Mordecai. And they say, well, Mordecai's second in charge. We're not going to step out against him. So now we've got all this support that comes from the government. We don't know if that was soldiers. We don't know if that was just um, instruments of warfare or anything like that. We just know that there was some sort of support that came from them. Mordecai exercised great power in the palace. 
and his fame spread throughout the provinces as he became more and more powerful. And the Jews put all their enemies to the sword, killing and destroying them. Now you might be saying, wait a minute, these don't sound like very nice people, right? Now we've got to remember back in the Old Testament, we're dealing with nations, a little bit different than what God is doing today through the church. Then he had his nation of Israel, and for various reasons, he used them at times to go out and judge other nations, to go out and judge other people, and there was bloodshed. But what's interesting is they actually issued, or I shouldn't say issued, they actually had some restraint as, as they went through. You'll see this. Uh, they, did what pleased, uh, they did what they pleased to those who hated them. In the fortress of Susa, they killed and destroyed 500 men, including and I'm not going to go through and, and massacre all those names for you. But these are the ten sons of Haman. Okay? They killed these ten sons of Haman, son of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews. However, they did not seize any plunder, even though the edict gave them the right to do that. Even though the edict said you could go in and, and, and get all their plunder, they chose not to. They constrained themselves at that point. Now, I don't know why. But I do think as we go out and we have a spiritual warfare of some kind, and we may at times get into some sort of even spiritual battle with people, it's important for us not to take it too far. And I think one of the things that I try to remember is Romans twelve nineteen. It says, friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath because it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. We have to remember that God is the ultimate judge, and he is the one that repays evil for evil. That comes from Deuteronomy, which says, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay. So if you go back there, in the context, he's talking to the nation of Israel, and he says to them, hey, as you go into the promised land, you're going to do certain things, but... Understand this, I will have vengeance. And so there ought to be a healthy fear of God no matter who we're talking to, no matter who we're dealing with, that says, I will do what God has asked me to do, but then I'll stop before taking it too far. Think about those things. That's what they did there in Esther. So on the day, we'll start with verse 11 again. On that day, the number of people killed in the fortress of Susa was reported to the king. And the king said to Queen Esther, In the fortress of Susa, the Jews have killed and destroyed 500 men, including Haman's ten sons. Now, that may have come as a shock to the king. Like, wow, 500 people, that's, that's quite a few. This is a pretty serious issue. And instead of saying, hey, let's, let's hold off now, let's, let's wait, let's stop doing this, look at what he does. He says, what... Have they done in the rest of the royal provinces? Question mark. We don't know. At least he didn't know at this point. But then he turns to Esther and he says, Whatever you ask will be given to you. Whatever you seek will be done. He could have said, Esther, it's time to shut this thing down. But instead, he says, Esther, what else would you like to happen? Now, I'm kind of reading in between the lines here because it doesn't give us a lot of the information, but I think something has happened from the time that she's become queen and as she has grown maybe a little bit in her courage and she's approached the king and she's talked to the king to this point where their relationship has built a little bit, her courage has built a little bit, and she has probably earned this type of comment. Proverbs 31.11 says, The heart of her husband trusts in her and he will not lack anything good. And the king had come to the point where he looked at Esther and said, I trust you, Esther. I trust what you have to say, and so I'm asking you this question. 
What else would you like us to do? So verse 13, Esther answered, If it pleases the king, may the Jews who are in Susa also have tomorrow to carry out today's law. And may the bodies of Haman's ten sons be hung on the gallows. If you go all the way back to chapter 4, remember, remember Esther. She was the one that when Mordecai said, listen, Mord- or, Esther, you need to go and talk to the king because the Jews are going to be wiped out. She's like, oh, you know, if I do that, and the king doesn't lower his scepter, I'll get executed. And there was great fear there. Because obviously she didn't want to die, and she didn't want to get cut off from her position, all those types of things. And so, so there was great fear, and she didn't want to step in and talk to the king. Now she's in a position where she's like, yeah, there's some people that died. Hey, can we have another day to do the same thing? I don't know if it was that nonchalant. But it was, it was you know, she got to a point where she had a lot more courage to talk to the king. And so what did the king do? He could have said, ah, you know what, let's go ahead and shut it down now. No, but instead he honors and trusts what Esther had to ask for. So the king gave the orders for this to be done. So a law was announced in Susa, and they hung the bodies of Haman's ten sons. There it was, out in the public for all to see. Haman and his sons, who wanted to destroy the Jews, are now hung in public for all to see. The Jews in Susa assembled again on the 14th day of the month of Adar and killed 300 men in Susa, but they did not seize any plunder, once again mentioning that point. The rest of the Jews in the royal provinces assembled and defended themselves and gained relief from their enemies. They killed 75,000. In Susa, they killed 500 and then another 300, so 800 total. But in the rest of the province, they killed 75,000 of those who hated them. But for the third time, he says... They did not seize any plunder. They fought on the 13th day of the month of Adar and rested on the 14th, and it became a day of feasting and rejoicing. But the Jews in Susa had assembled on the 13th and 14th days of the month. They rested on the 15th day of the month, and it became a day of feasting and rejoicing. This explains, and this is part of the reason why this whole book was written for us, this explains why the rural Jews who live in villages observe the 14th day of the month of Adar as a time of rejoicing and feasting. It is a holiday when they send gifts to one another. Okay, so out in the countryside, when they celebrate this day, it's on the 14th day. But it's not so for those who were in, uh, in the city. They celebrate on the 15th day. Mordecai recorded these events and sent letters to all the Jews and all of the king of Hazaras' provinces, both near and far. He ordered them to celebrate the 14th and 15th days of the month of Adar every year. And then the last verse, because during those days the Jews gained relief from their enemies, that was the month when the sorrow was turned into rejoicing and the mourning into a holiday. They were to be days of feasting, rejoicing, of sending gifts to one another and to the poor. And they call that day Purim, which we'll talk about next week. So that's those 22 verses that we're looking at just today. And I think what's important here is you see a bit of, of, of defense that's taking place. They were told to defend themselves, not to go out and attack, but actually to defend themselves. And that's what they did. So here's our big idea. A proper defense wins battles and gains respect. We have a little bit of a different type of war that we're facing. 
Okay, we're not going out and, and fighting a battle against another nation. As believers and followers of Jesus Christ, we're facing a spiritual battle. And in that spiritual battle, we have enemies. And the God has enemies, and Jesus has enemies, and that enemy is Satan, and he wants to distract us, and he wants us to pull our eyes off of God for a while and put it on something else, and he wants us to trust in other things and get joy and fulfillment out of other things instead of Christ. And it's a constant battle that we have. There are people out there that will try to pull us away. So our defense is mentioned in Ephesians, and I had you read this last week, maybe you read through it this week, but I'll read it once again. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength, put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of your neighbor? No. Your coworkers? No. Of the devil? He even goes on, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. These are the ones that we're, we're fighting against, Satan and his demons. And they will try to trip us up. They know our weaknesses. and They'll try to make us fail. And he uses a lot of different things to do that. For this reason, he goes on, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day, and having prepared everything to take your stand, stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like an armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with readiness of the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up a shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation. Up to this point, every piece that's mentioned is a, is a defense piece. You're protecting yourself. And then he mentions the offense, the sword of the Spirit. Most of our battle is defense. And really the only thing we have to fight with is God's Word. And that needs to be remembered in every battle that we go into. We pray and we ask God to help us be defended against the schemes of the evil, against the flaming arrows, against all the things that are going to distract us and pull us away. And the only thing we have that can go out there and fight a battle with is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We take His truth and, and we apply it, we live it out, and we give it to other people. Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Pray also for me, this is Paul talking, that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For this, I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough to speak about it as I should. A proper defense wins battles and gains respect. In Esther, they went out and they defended themselves. God blessed them. They won the battle. And in the same time, they won respect from the other nations. As we're living out our faith, we ought to be able to win battles, but do it in a way that also gains respect. So I want to give you a few points on maybe how we can do that. One, we can defend your faith. We can defend our faith without hurting our reputation. I hope you know that. When we live out our faith, it doesn't mean that we have to put other people down. Now, we do not have a good example of debates today. I'm sorry to say it. I'm, I don't want to get too crazy in the 
political world, but we have, unfortunately, some really bad political debates that happen. And they, uh, they attack other people, they attack character, and all of these types of things. We're not supposed to do that as followers of Christ. We don't attack people's character. We may at times need to, in a loving way, point out sin, point out things that are wrong, but we don't attack character. You can defend your faith without hurting your reputation. I think that hurts a lot of people's reputation when we, when we just tear other people apart. And so we, we do it carefully. Finally, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to live in a way that pleases God as we have taught you. You live this way already, and we encourage you to do so, or do even more. Make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands, just as we instructed you before. Then people who are not believers will respect the way you live, and you will not need to depend on others. Now, he's talking maybe a little bit different context here, but I think there's some good points that we can draw from this and good principles. The way we live, our reputation is important to outsiders. And there are times for debates, and I praise God for those who do have debates and do a good job of it. Some of you may know like a guy like Ravi Zacharias does a good job, he respects people, he's intellectual, and, and does a good job of handling those types of questions and debates. And he does it in a way that I don't think puts other people down. And there are others that do that sort of thing, and I think that needs to happen. But also, as we just go out and live our lives, we ought to live in such a way that people look at us and go, there's a respectable person. They have a good reputation. You can clearly see that they love God. And so it may be that just the way you care for your neighbor speaks volumes. I know I've probably shared this story before, but... uh, a while back, I knew a guy that was building his house. His wife started coming to church. Her name was Margie. And so uh, Margie would come and I'd ask, hey, where's your husband? I never met her. Well, he's working on a house back home. They were building their own house. And so uh, they were trying to do a lot of the work themselves. And we just never would see him. And so I said, well, hey, how can I come over to your place and meet him sometime? Sure, come over. So I met him and started talking with him a little bit. A couple months went by again. He'd show up occasionally. And so I went over again and asked the question. I said, how's the house coming and everything? Well, we're starting to get behind a little bit, and now the building inspector's coming, and he's saying the winter's coming, we need to get it buttoned up, and the siding's still not done, you know, on and on and on. So my husband's working all the time on the home. And I said, hey, what if we took like three or four people and came over and started doing siding on your house? He's like, you would do that? I mean, what's a day or two for us? Why not? So we went over there, and we started doing siding, put siding on his house, and by the end of that first day, the guy was crying. It was kind of, yeah, I think he was a little embarrassed, but he was crying, kind of holding back the tears. And just like, hey, we'll come back tomorrow, finish up a little bit more. Okay, that's great. It still took about two or three months, but then he started coming to church slowly. They started coming more. And I'd ask him every once in a while, I'd say, hey, have you, have you decided to, to follow Jesus? Well, I'm still waiting. And then about six months later, he came back. He says, hey, I want you to know decided to follow Jesus Christ. And that all happened and transpired. And that's just one story. That doesn't always happen that way. But that just happened because some people said, you know what, we're just going to go and we're going to love you, care for you, do what we can to help out. Those things build a reputation. This guy, he, his belief in Christians is that they're all hypocrites. 
Here's one of those. Maybe you've heard of that before. You'll say, hey, would you like to come and, 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 and you know, worship with us, meet people in the church? Oh, Christians, you know, they're just a bunch of hypocrites. And, but if you can live out your faith in front of people and build that reputation, that speaks volumes. Now, if we had gone there and done all that work and then said, hey, I expect you to be at church tomorrow, boy, I think we would have lost all respect right there. Because if we would have demanded something back, you lose respect. You've got to love people, and you've got to love them with an open hand, right? So go out, live your faith, do it in a loving way, and it will actually build reputation. Second point, leaders using their authority wisely gain the respect of many. You see that with Mordecai. Mordecai here was feared by many. And in a very short time period, he was put into a position where he was able to to be second in command, write an edict, put it out there. Again, we're kind of reading between the lines, but we know that it it was across the nation. You need to fear Mordecai. But it was a healthy type of fear, not like Haman. It was a good type of fear. And leaders using their authority wisely, they gain the respect of others. 1 Peter 5.3 says, Don't lord it over people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. Now he's talking to pastors here and teachers and, and people who are in authority, and he says, you need to understand the way we lead people is not pushing them into doing things. We lead by example. I still remember one of the, the analogies my dad gave me, and I'm kind of more of a mechanical thinker, so this just stuck with me, but he took a, a chain, and actually I don't think he took a chain, he just told me about it. He says, Ryan, think about the links on a chain and the end of the chain, the end links. He says, you got two choices if you're trying to move the chain. You got one, one link you can take and you can you know, move around and the chain will just follow it, right? Or you could take the bottom link and try to push, and what happens? The chain just kind of collapses. He says, that's, that's what it's like to be a leader, I was pretty young, so I'm like, what? What are you talking about, Dad? But over time, it definitely made a lot more sense. You have to lead and be an example for other people to follow. Um, You can't just lord it over. You can't push people. If you're the type of leader that just sits back and says, hey, you do this, you do that, go for it, and just try to push people in to position, it's not going to work very well, is it? But when you go out there and you set the example and you lead, people follow. And I think that's what Mordecai did. He was a wise leader. He cared about the people. He loved the people. The people saw that. He wasn't perfect, but he led and he led well. And he was wise. And the last one, and I think this is one that hits me probably the hardest here. Celebrate the victories today and remember them tomorrow. So at the end, when you get all the way through, what you see in this story is that they celebrated. Yes, there's victory. There was some bloodshed. It was, it was hard. There had to have been, I'm sure, some Jews that, that died also. But there was a victory, and they celebrated. And then they set up to, to celebrate this every year. Again, we'll get into that next week, but they call that Purim. And I started thinking through that. As far as our spiritual warfare, how do we celebrate our victories? We celebrate Christ. We're coming up on that, you know, Christ and His birthday, and that's what Christmas is about for us. We celebrate Easter, the resurrection, and that's really important. 
Because if Christ didn't rise from the dead, then there's no reason for us to meet here today. I mean, not only did he die on the cross for our sins, but he rose from the dead to give us a new life so that we can be with him for all eternity. The resurrection is key to salvation. So we celebrate those things. Those are the victories. We celebrate them today. But what about your personal life? What about the victories in your life? What about the time you gave your life to Jesus Christ and you made a decision to follow him? Do you remember that day? Do you know that God remembers that day? And you remember that the, the angels remember that day? Luke 15, it says, Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? Now, just to kind of put it in context, you'd be like, ten coins, come on. What if it was your paycheck? Your monthly paycheck, or two weeks, or however you get paid. And you couldn't get it back. Like, you couldn't call up and say, hey, I lost my paycheck. What if that had been lost? What if you had a, a, uh, an envelope with a couple thousand dollars in cash in it and it just disappeared? Would you look for it? Probably. When she finds it, she'll call her friends and neighbors and say, rejoice with me. And probably because she's already asked them, hey, have you found this? But rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God angels when even one sinner repents. Every time somebody comes to faith in Jesus Christ, there is a celebration with God's angels. That means when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, when I place my faith in Jesus Christ, the angels will throw in a party. That's pretty cool, right? I think we forget about that. But God was excited when we chose Him. And He celebrated. And so did the other angels as well. Here's some concluding thoughts. You can make a difference for Jesus in your local community. So reach out, love others, and naturally speak the truth. I say naturally speak the truth because I think sometimes we try to force the truth, and this is where sometimes our, our reputation gets hurt. If somebody asks me about my kids and you know, how they're doing, it's, it's very natural for me to just talk about them and how, what they're doing in life. Someone would ask me about Rebecca and how she's doing. I can naturally talk about that. I should be able to just naturally talk about Jesus Christ. You see the difference? Sometimes we feel like, oh, we got to go knock on a door and it's awkward. And we're like, oh. but, but if we're just living out our faith and just talking to people about Jesus Christ, it should be natural that it comes up in our conversation. Reach out, love one another, and, and make sure as we're talking, it's just we live our faith out. It's not something we just do on Sundays. Here at Involved Church, we have core values, and one of them is authenticity. And by that, we mean that how you live on Sunday is how you live on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. They don't just worship God on Sunday. You worship and live for Him every day of your life. That ought to be true of each one of us, and it ought to be natural for us to speak the truth about Jesus Christ. And then celebrate people's decision to follow Jesus. I don't know. Um, Brian, can I get one of these to work here? Do something crazy. Green? All right, cool. 
Um, I'm going to step off. I know we're streaming, but I'm going to step off. So I'm going to ask Amy. I'll pick on you. All right. Amy, have you made a decision to follow Christ? Yeah. You did? Yes. All right. Cool. Um, did you know we're going to be spending like all eternity together? Yeah. Isn't that kind of crazy to think of? It is. Yeah. <laughs> Fortunately for you, I'll be a lot nicer then when we're in heaven. So <laughs> that's probably a good thing. Is that exciting? It is. I think so too. Uh, how have you celebrated it? You remember? Uh, celebrated. Yeah, like coming to Christ. Oh, in faith. Uh, just I was in Awanas and um, told my parents and told my friends and yeah. and shared Something everything like that. that God has done in my life with them when it happened. So. That's yeah, very similar to the way I did as well. I remember I got saved and I went out and told my dad and the cows. That was a big big part of it. So. Yeah. All right. Um, I could pick on somebody else. Let's see. Anyway, people are looking down. I know that's usually a bad side. Right? Oh, no. So I uh, come back here. Pat, I'll pick on you, Pat. So uh, have you made a decision to follow Christ? Yes. Yes. How did you celebrate that decision to follow Christ? I'm not sure what you mean by celebrate. Well, I mean, like, did you tell anybody afterwards? Oh, Was yeah. it like people were excited for you or anything like that? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I came from a unchurched family and yeah and i told them uh, what had been going on yeah how they respond to that um not not no, poorly no. okay <laughs> <laughs> thought i was a little little different yeah yeah and i i was probably a little too forceful yeah okay to begin with all right i was a high schooler and yep excited about it and probably pushed a little too hard okay were you baptized yes i was yeah so the church celebrate with you Yes. Cool. All right. So we'll be spending eternity together too, right? Yeah. Jesus will be there too. Well, that's true. Okay. All right. So you give a guy a microphone and I tell you what. All right. Well, I could go around and around the room and see that and hopefully I hear a lot of yeses. We get to celebrate Christ. And that is true. That we get to celebrate that with Christ. We get to celebrate that with each other. Uh, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you can look around the room right now and say, hey, I'm going to be in eternity with you in heaven. And that's an awesome thing. And we ought to celebrate that. So some of the things we want to challenge you with this week. There's a couple things, very practical things that you could be thinking about. Uh, one is this. Commit to hand out two invite cards this week. Pray for people before and after. Now we've got some cards, I think, Pastor Luke has them, I don't know, at the welcome desk. Is that where they are? Okay, Greer's at the door will have them. Um, two invite cards. They're just talking about our Jonah series and how we can get people maybe to say, hey, come on, check out church. But here's some things we could do, and you might be saying, okay, normally this is like a reflective time. Be thinking who you can hand those to, okay, and pray for them before and after you give them the card. So that's the first thing. Second uh, celebrate people's salvation this week in your life group, with your family, with your friends. Maybe you can do just that exercise right there at lunchtime with your family or tonight. Hey, have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? How did we celebrate it? And if you're like, you know, we didn't really celebrate it that much, well, maybe we need to. If you've never been baptized, you're like, I want to celebrate it through baptism. Well, we need to do that. And as a church, we can throw a party together because of the choice you've made to follow Jesus Christ. So celebrate that and continue to celebrate it because that's a great thing. And then this one is more of something that you could do in your own personal devotions. Read Philippians 3, 12 through 21 uh, once a day this week. It's a larger section, 
but I think it's great because it talks about how, well, I'll read it here, but it talks about how we are in a world fighting a battle, but we need to keep our hope fixed on Christ. Philippians three twelve through 21. I'm going to read that, and then we'll give you a couple minutes here to think about these things, how to apply them personally, and then we'll close with a song. So let's read that passage together. Not that I have already reached the goal, this is Paul talking, or I'm already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this to you also. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we attained. Join in imitating brothers and sisters and pay careful attention to those who live in according to the example you have in us. For I often told you and now say again with tears that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. That's just the reality we live in. Even though we know Christ, there are many enemies all around us. Their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. They are focused on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body. Amen? By the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. Read that once a week. I think that'll be a great, or once a day for a week, that'll be a great encouragement.